Hi there, and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jamae's Fine Foods. I'm Vicky Nguyen, and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120, and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. In this episode, I interview Nick Butner, younger brother of journalist and writer Dan. The brothers spent years researching the areas of the world for the National Geographic and explored the places where people live the longest. These areas are called the Blue Zones. Together, Nick and Dan identified the Blue Zone regions and explored the commonalities between healthy individuals and their communities. Nick is not just an explorer. However, throughout his career, he has led 17 worldwide expeditions. He's also an edtech innovator and a passionate Blue Zone speaker. So Nick's role as the Vice President of Product for the Blue Zones is to bring the longevity lessons from the Blue Zone regions to a larger audience, namely 50 communities across the US and Canada, positively impacting the health of over 5 million people. So he does this through teaching the Power Nine principles of the Blue Zones, which are One, moving naturally. Two, having a sense of purpose. Three, downshifting, so learning how to de-stress. Four, the 80% rule, where you only fill your stomach up to 80% full. Five, having a plant-based diet. Six, having wine at five. Seven, having a sense of belonging or community. Eight, loved ones first, having a real strong sense of family connections. And nine, having the right tribe around you. So we look forward to hearing more from Nick. So um, so I'm super excited today, Nick, to learn more about these Blue Zone cultures and the communities and how, how they all live. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So tell us, I mean, you've spent so many years researching the Blue Zones across the world. What defines a Blue Zone? Oh, that's a great question. So what my brother Dan and I have done is travel the world to find the the uh, five communities where, where people have the longest longevity, lowest rates of middle-age mortality, uh, the region 100 at rates 10 times higher than they're doing it here in America. But I think more importantly, they, they do it with a lot less disease than we tend to have right. um, here in America, I think in Australia as well. Um, these five communities are the hotspots, which we define as the blue zones. Amazing. So where are they? Um, there's one in, um, uh, Loma Linda, California here in America. Yes. Uh, yes. Costa Rica in the, in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica. There's one off the coast of Turkey, a Greek island called Ikaria. Yes. In yes. Sardinia in Italy and in Okinawa, Japan. Beautiful. And we actually went there with demographers and experts because sometimes you, somebody might hear about that place in Russia where they're reaching 100 or 150 years and they're smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and drinking vodka. Well, we actually go there with demographers. We went in there with physicians and schools from public health right. to actually make sure we're demographically confirmed that these um, uh, geocentric populations did indeed have the highest rates of um of longevity Amazing. and the highest rate number of centenarians. That's incredible. And so is there a common, like, are they all mountainous or seaside areas? You know, it's kind of all over the map. Um, Icaria, it's more, it's kind of a little bit mountainous and as well as Sardinia, they tended to be shepherds that kind of move their flocks 
in Okinawa, you know, you had the beach, but and in, in Ikaria, you had those beaches um, and seasides that they took advantage of. And then in Woma Linda, it was more inland. Right. Uh, about 100 miles inland from the, the coast. Okay. So it's different. Amazing. And so there are obviously some common um, trends that were practiced by these people who live in those zones. What what are the, the trends that you've, you, sound, you found? Yeah, we found nine commonalities that flew through all of the different blue zones, and we call them the power nine. Um, okay. These lifestyle <laughs> traits that when implemented into your life can help you live longer, um, help you be happier. Yes. And 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 they live without disease and they were number one is they move naturally yes um and walked to they didn't like jump in their cars to go to work instead they walked to school they walked to their friend's house right they walked to the grocery store yes they didn't hire somebody to to shovel the walker to mow the lawn instead they would do these things themselves one that i met in Ikari, in in costa rica 104 years old when i met her wow she was her lawn with a machete. Oh my goodness. I can only um, hope to be that fit at 104 with all that energy. Right? I actually just felt blessed because my, my, my dad as a kid didn't make me mow the lawn with a machete. He actually gave me a lawnmower. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the whole reason for this show is because I had a great aunt who lived to 108 and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120. So um, I love hearing stories like this. And so tell us, so obviously moving in na- natural ways, I mean, obviously for us living in this modern world where we're driving to work and we're sitting at our desks all day long, it's we're so much more challenged, hence the reason why so many of us need to go to gyms. So is it also about what they don't do? You know, um, they don't have to sit yeah, in their cars. It, you know? So one of the things that I noticed, uh, and we can come back to the other Power Nine, but yeah. in all the Blue Zone communities, I never met somebody who woke up one day and said, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old and I want to make it to 120 and I want to do that by going to the gym. Yes. So I'm going to get a membership. And I didn't yeah. meet anybody who said at 50, you know what, I want to do a Blue Zone diet. So yeah, I make yeah. it to 100. Yeah. Longevity was never something they pursued. Okay. Instead, it ensued because of their environment. Amazing. Their environment was set up to allow them to walk, to yes. allow them to bike, to allow them to do these things. But here in in America, I know, and and I and from my travels in Australia, you see the same thing. Is we're building communities around cars, around yes. the need for cars, and yes. the need for us to be inconvenient, for us to have convenience. Absolutely. You know? So well, in Okinawa, they don't have chairs. Right. So they'll get up and down off of the ground. Yes. You know, they they don't have in, in, in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, when they make the corn tortilla shells, they're not making them with a food processor in the living room. Instead, they have that, the matate and they're doing it by hand and they're grinding the corn. Yes. So they're that movement naturally because that is how their environment is set up yes for them to move they don't have remote controls for their tvs exactly amazing and so so obviously so was that the most common thing you found that the movement in natural ways were there well that was one of the nine right so the other one is and i kind of look at it around this downshift is what they did is they had these simple techniques to help reduce stress yes Stress in our life, when you're stressed, it, it creates inflammation. Right. And that inflammation is tied to most age-related diseases. Absolutely. And they just have these simple techniques to help kind of just take that breath. And, and whether in Loma Linda, you know, it's seven-day Adventists, they pray, yes. you know, to, that, to take that break. They, they would do walks. They'd nap. 
you know, they do happy hour in Sardinia, which yes. was by far my favorite. <laughs> of course. Uh, that, that one. The other thing they did, and I find this one really interesting as well, is they had a strong sense of purpose. Yes. It, they they like they don't have a word for retirement. Right. It, 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 the the most dangerous years of your life is the year that you're born and the year that you retire. Yes, absolutely. You are thirty percent more likely to die the year that you retire than your last year work. Isn't it interesting? Purpose it is. is First, you think about it and go, well, why is that? Is that because you now retired and have time to go skydiving or do the running of the bulls and? In Spain, you know, <laughs> no. of course not. It's we live these purpose-driven lives yeah. that that make us get up and take care of our families and have our jobs and these reasons to get up in the morning. In the blue zone communities, they had a reason to get up in the morning. They they knew what their sense of purpose was and yes. they could articulate it. Whether they're twenty to a hundred, and research says it's tied to seven years of longevity. Wow, how interesting. Yeah, that's incredible. And and diet wise, the diet wise, it was three different areas. They'd have a little bit of wine, had the healthy relationship with alcohol, but a little bit of wine with their meal. But it was mostly plant based, about 90 percent. It wasn't they weren't vegetarians. They weren't vegans. But if you look at their plate, that protein was smaller. Yes. They'd only have it about the size of a deck of cards, and they'd only eat it about four or five times a month, but more use legumes yes. and vegetables and, and really those green, leafy green vegetables right. you know, they're in their diets. It was more of a plant-based diet yep. um, that they have. And I, and I look at it in my life. I mean, how can't we? Can't everybody just put a little bit more vegetables on their plate and a little bit smaller piece of protein? I mean, it's to me when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, that's a given. That's a, yeah. a, a strong trade. And the lastly, last thing was uh, uh, their caloric intake. Um, in Okinawa, they have this term called harahachi bu, right. which only which means I'm only going to eat till I'm 80 percent full. Yes, I love that. Yes, and they had these techniques set up to reinforce it. Yeah. So instead of like loading your plate, your table full foods, they would pre-plate their foods yeah. before they sat down. So this is how much I'm eating. And they, and it helped them control their caloric intake, which yes. I think is it's it's one of those things that are creating obesity and creating diabetes and these these diseases that we're having later in life. Yeah. Places so much stress in the body, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. and what about, um, you said, I mean, obviously it's mostly plant-based, small amount of meat. Is it meat that they're, um, you know, they're, they're fishing for or they're farming themselves? Like, talk to me about that. Yeah, it was, they did eat fish, um, fish less than um, uh, three times a week. Right. And meat less than, than five times a month. Right. Okay. And the meat they tended to do, like I remember in Icaria, Greece. Yes. One, one of the times they had these festivals where they come together as the whole community will come together around the food and yes. they usually take the food and boil it and then everybody will get a portion of it and they'll do these big potluck celebrations right. as a community that brings the whole community together when they sacrifice a goat or when they sacrifice a pig yes to eat it so it's more of a celebration yeah know? it's beautiful it's very ceremonial that's right that's amazing and what about obviously sugar is not something that they consume either or dairy very much no no, very little dairy. And when it comes to sugar, you know, we here in America, last time I researched it, and again, um, I don't know the exact numbers in Australia for, for your audience, but 
In America, we add about 50 pounds of sugar on average to our diet every year. Isn't it ridiculous, honestly? Think about mm. how much that is. With your Coca-Colas and your and and the, what we're adding to our coffees and teas yeah. and you know all that other stuff, what they would do is their sweeteners would be more natural. Yes, honey, yep. for example. Yep. You know, would be those things that sweet. They they don't add sugar to their diet. Yes, and dairy. A dairy, very little, and if they're dairy, it wasn't cow dairy, but it would be more what we fall found is more like goat cheese. Yeah. Dairy, which is higher in omega threes, right, and than the cow dairy. Okay. So and it so that dairy piece was focused on there, and again, a lot less, maybe one or two eggs a week. Right. So again, a lot less than we tend to eat. Um, uh, and I'm just telling you what the research says and what they did. Uh, Dan and I worked on a book a few years ago. Or Dan led a book, the development of book, the Blue Zone Solution, a couple of years ago, which kind of really where we did a metadata analysis of all the blue zones and their diets. And that's where all of this is coming from. Amazing. Right? And what about hydration? Is water something that they're conscious of? No, it's not really something that they're conscious of. I think the, the other piece that I think was really important in the power nine, it, um, the last three areas, it's where, how they came together as a community. Yes. They were really focused in their family. As you age, you weren't just dropped off in a, a home to die, but you were surrounded by family. You'd move into your 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 kid's house. Yes. And surrounded by love all the way through your life. They tended to stay married and they invested in their kids. They invested in family. Beautiful. So they've the, really yeah. got that sense of tribal group that supports them and upholds that the value. Well, and that's just the family. The right. other two pieces where they had a strong sense of faith. Okay. Uh, Blue Zones, huge fans of faith. Right. Don't care what your faith is. Okay. Um, all but two centenarians that we met in all of our travels have, was founded in their faith, so grounded in their faith. Amazing. Um, there's two universities that came out that said um, people that have a strong sense of faith and show up at least four times a month live four to 14 years longer. Wow. And we don't care what your faith is. I'm just telling you what the research said, both ours and that other research was done by Duke and Harvard University. Interesting. Yeah. So that's a good be. And the last piece of what you started talking about, your tribe or your group. According to the Framingham study, if your three best friends are overweight, if your three best friends smoke or yes. drink too much, there is a 150% chance that you do as well. Right. Exactly. That it's actually flow through a community in the same way a virus or the common cold does. Right. You know? So how do you surround yourself with people that are reinforcing healthy behaviors? And I know right now a lot of your listeners are starting to jot down those people that they're going to kick out of their life. <laughs> Before you do that, you also need those friends that when you're having that just really bad day, you can pick up the phone and give them a call. Absolutely. And answer and they'll listen to you. Yes. Because you need that support as well. In Okinawa, that was one of the things that I walked away around this concept of Moai's. Um, when you're about five years old, your kids will put you in, or your parents will put you in groups with other kids your age, and the parents will cultivate those relationships. Yes. So when you reach 20, they have the foundation to last a lifetime. I was able to meet a group of four ladies, average age 97, or average age 102. Yes. They've been friends since they were 97. Amazing. And 
I asked one of the women, what does this kind of friendship mean to you? And she goes, the first thing I do when I get up in the morning is I slide open my front door and I look out. Yeah. And I see whether or not my friend's doors are open. And if they are, I'll go out and check on them. Aww. So you're growing old without isolation. You're growing old yeah. with a supportive network that's helping you out when you're having that bad day. Yeah, so loneliness and de- or depression are not something that these people are uh, used to experiencing, right? No, and maybe something your audience didn't know. You know, and again, I apologize for using this stat because it's an American stat. I don't know. I don't know how it translates. But here in America, um, 25 years ago, the average American had three best friends. Yes. That's now down to a friend and a half. Yeah, right. I believe and that. And I'm willing to guess with social media and everything else that's going on, you're seeing the same kind of traditions exactly. happening in Australia. Well, we There's don't even lot- know our neighbors these days. Yeah. And for people that if you have less than three friends, you're defined as lonely. Yeah, right. And the impact that that has on your body is about the same as smoking 20 cigarettes a day. Goodness. So how do you create those intentional social networks that break down isolation, that give you that support when you need them? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Well, that's why, I mean, if you look at the happiest places in the world as well, they're community, they're groups, right? They like live in a tribe kind of set up. You know, it's kind of all over. There's a little bit of difference around happiness, but yeah, there, there's some things that are going on. Um, in the happiest places that I think are very unique. They tend to be very social people that they tend to socialize, I think, on average about six and a half hours a day. Wow. We wouldn't get any work done. <laughs> no, well, it's not all bad. That's <laughs> no, great. No, so tell me, just touching back on um, on the, the health, like the nine um, trends, I guess, is one of them or part of it like cleaning, like cleansing or detoxing their guts or fasting at all? No. no, in the blue zone communities, they didn't fast. Okay. They, they where where the fasting comes in is they didn't is the harahachi poo, right? They didn't have that big diet. Yes, this wasn't diets that they did. It wasn't about fasting and all of that other stuff. It was about how did they set up that environment yep. to make the healthy choice the unavoidable choice. Yeah, right. In their I love that. So what about, so I mean, these all seem fairly achievable, like creating a community, having mostly plant-based diet, moving naturally, you know, creating that sense of, of fa- having a faith. Um, but what about, um, you know, the, the fact that we live for us, living in the modern world where we're reliant on technology and cars and we're surrounded by Wi-Fi and pollution, how, so it's obviously for these communities, it's also about what they don't have and what they're not exposed to. Yeah, and I can explain in a minute kind of the work that I'm doing around the 50 communities across the United States and Canada and kind of how we get to it. But the heart is kind of what I started kind of giving you that nod to before around, you know, think about right now, on average, the average American or the average person, I got to stop saying that the average person takes uh, makes about 280 decisions. Tied to their health every day. Oh, my goodness. Most of them are involuntary. Right. You just do do them, right? Yes, yes. The habitual. Yeah. So now now think about kind of how we interact in society. You have have, um, uh, streets and roads that are designed that you need cars. Yes. They're no longer designed for walkability, whether it be through transit, biking, and all that other stuff, and how we live and how we build our communities. Yes. Which, again, makes it so you can't 
you know, set up. We're, we're defined when we go to the grocery store, go to the shopping center. Let's find the best parking spot versus parking in the back and inconveniencing ourselves a little bit to move naturally. Yes. Our food system is being driven by, by advertising. Exactly. That who, whose goal is to subtly be able to sell you stuff that understands your purchasing, understands kind of the things that you do. Yes. And get you to behave. So if you look at going to grocery store, it's, um, you're going to have to answer this because it's been about uh, 10 years since I've been to Australia. Okay. What's the last thing you see in a grocery store well, as so, you're checking out? Sorry, the last thing we see at the grocery store? Yeah, in the grocery store as you check out. Yeah, well, Is it's it usually the, the um, candy. It could be like chewing gum, something snacky. Like, I mean, a lot of the supermarkets now, they've got the self-checkout zones, but they've still got like a little snack type food that you can pick up on the go. You know, and it tends to be the unhealthy stuff. So what if they, what if that was defined as those healthy things, those things that are really kind of good for you? So those impulse buys you're grabbing and kind yeah. of putting in, putting into in, into it. When you go to a restaurant, how do you look at 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 working with chefs to be able to create an environment where the food and the way that it's being celebrated on the menu, yes. you're reading it going, oh my God, this vegan thing sounds really good or this vegetable, I want I want to try it. But how do you define it? Yes. How do you pick it? And how do you set it up so that the choice architecture allows the people who want to yeah. um, eat healthy to be able to have that choice? Absolutely. But we're not defining our communities that way right now. Exactly. Well, I think a lot of it's all about convenience, right? Everybody lives such itinerant, fast-paced lives that people think, oh, well, they associate fast food, you know, food with uh, or food that's wholesome and raw and, you know, whole foods with t t being time-consuming to prepare and also costly. So, um, you know, there needs to be this shift. And I think there is a shift. Like even though, I mean, we produce food products as well, and I know there's a massive movement towards more vegan-based and more, um, you know, sugar-free, dairy-free, gluten-free. There's a lot more product like that coming out. But, I mean, you're right. It's not hard to, instead of picking up something that's processed, like go for an apple or a banana instead. It's not that hard. Yeah. Well, when one of the things that we're doing with communities is thinking through the whole food system. Yes. So if you think about it, Number one, you have to know what's good for your body, right? Yes. You have to have the right rituals around how you eat. Are you eating, sitting down with a family with the right portion sizes and a well-balanced meal? Right. Or are you ordering your food by number as you're going through the drive-thru or the the yes. fast food restaurant? Yeah, exactly. Um, it ha I can, t I, you know what, I can tell you to eat Brussels sprouts or you know, or, or some other healthy vegetable, but if you don't like it, you're not going to eat it. So how do you create the food skills to be able to make it taste good? Yes. Especially given our, our busy lifestyle. Yes. The, the fourth piece of it is it got to be affordable. You know what? All those things and all those foods you mentioned are great, but sometimes what they, what the attainable, the people who can attain it, are the people with money and income. Yes. And it's not getting to the people that do not have the resources to be able to do it. So how do you create affordability and how do you be able to bring it so that you're breaking down in some ways creating offerings to the next generation? Yes. That you know that that created. And the and the last thing I always like to add is well it needs to be easy, but the last thing I always is our friends matter. You know, if you go out to dinner and you want to try being a vegetarian, if that's your thing or eat smaller portions or whatever. But if you're going out with friends who who um, 
isn't doesn't have the same eating habits. Yeah, it's really hard for you as an individual yeah, right. to be able to kind of change. Yeah, whether it be through your diet, whether you want to diet, or whether or not you want to kind of change kind of the uh, to a, to a little bit more of a plant based style diet. Yeah. I so that I think that's the challenges that we have. Where the blue zone communities, they've been doing these things for a hundred years. So how in our communities do we kind of go back to traditions to really understand? the place in the world who are growing old in ways that we emulate, and then put evidence-based practices into those communities that create a choice architecture that makes that healthy choice easier, that makes, in some cases, even that healthy choice unavoidable. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, really, it's about conscious consumption, isn't it? It's about people changing their behaviors. And like you said before, how many decisions we make every day. Um, so it's about shifting that up. But where do you find, I mean, if you look at the research, it all seems fairly achievable, like I said before, but where do you find most people? Is it the food where they become unstuck? No, I think it's everything. Okay. You know, I think it, I think it's, I think it's all the power nine, right. you know, it, this isn't about behavioral choice, okay. first of all, it, because, I know, you know, people know they shouldn't eat a Big Mac or drink that large thing of of, of, of soda <laughs> yeah. or smoke a cigarette. They know that's bad for them. Yes. But there's a term called hyperbolic discount. Okay. Where I know that I shouldn't do that action, but at the time I do it, I'm not going to die. Okay. Got it. I can a cigarette for 15 years yeah. and it's not going to kill me, right? Okay. But what that does is it adds up and it impacts my health, you know, 15 years from now and all of a sudden, boom, you're hit and you have cancer. Absolutely. Or emphysema. So what we know now that bigger drivers of our health are our are, are relationships with our friends and our family. They're, they're the architecture of the places where we spend most of our time in our community, our work sites, our restaurants, our grocery stores, our faith-based partners in our communities, or our schools where our kids spend the time, yes. spend most of their daily hours. So, so what are those environments and are those environments set up to make that healthy choice? Because individual discipline and, and personal responsibility is a good thing, but discipline is a muscle. Yes. Muscles fatigue. Are you set up not only around a healthy food system, sort of walking, but what about does the sense of purpose, that reason you get up in the morning, align up with these with the purpose of the job that you have, for example? Yes, yeah, exactly. Then you're going to work every day, and it's 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 horrible. Or, or according to Gallup, number one thing that impacts whether or not you want to go to work is whether or not you have a good friend. Right. Oops work with people that they hate every day yeah you know so that that isn't as much that kind of individual responsibility but it's how do you set up that environment and the last thing is the policies and the culture of our communities yes how do you set that up so if you can do the people place and policy what you're doing is putting people on a treatment plan without them really even really you know with ubiquitous nudges so that they don't even know that they're on that treatment plan. yes yeah and i'm not Thing we we change our society to this utopian where nobody can eat meat or, you know, all this other stuff. But how do you create a choice in an environment where that healthy choice is easier for those people that they that really want it? Exactly, it's such a holistic approach, isn't it? So so what about for yourself? I mean, obviously, when you had a look at the data and and you saw what those the what do you call them the power nine are? How did you change or alter your life to assist with your longevity plan? 
I started drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> but obviously, so let's talk about that then. So the, the, the wine that they have, it's homegrown though, right? It's home-pressed, organic grapes. Yeah. Yeah. In Sardinia, it's a wine, and, and in Icaria, it's a wine that is made uh, from local grapes called Caninao. Right. We had it tested. It has higher antioxidants. Okay. As any other wine, those polyphenols. Yes. Any other wine, it's really it's really good for you, and it's also the way that you drink the wine tied to the to the foods that they eat. Um, it it really helps individuals with their glycemic index. Okay. But the bigger piece that I'd like to say about it was when they came together with the wine, it wasn't somebody sitting at home and you know drinking a bottle. It was the socialness of it. Yes. How did they come together with their friends to be able to create this kind of social environment that 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 created that 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 longevity? And it's the same with their meals. They weren't eating meals because oh, I got to eat my meal now because I'm hungry. There are celebrations. Yeah, it seems like I mean a lot of it's quite time consuming as well because everything is like you said it's ceremonial. So. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, I guess when you talk about it like that, for us, it seems, that part of it seems unachievable because most people are pressed for time and, and even to align your calendar with your partner's calendar can often be challenging. <laughs> so, why, why are we doing, why are we doing that? Yeah. Are we doing that because we have to do it or are we doing it because the architecture in, uh, in, in, and what our purpose and what we believe we need to be doing is tied to that? And I don't know. I mean, it, it could be both. But what I'm saying is it's also our environment, right? Yeah. Our bosses yeah. and our environments are set up to say we need to, to, to drive our work and work 80 hours a week. And we need to, to get up every morning and, and um, have the biggest house and the nicest car and, you know, all this other stuff. When, when is there another way that allows us to be able to follow our purpose? Absolutely. To link it to it. And again, that's an individual thing, yes, right? Yes. An individual thing because some people do find their purpose in their life yeah. with that work and to be able to do it. But if it's creating stress, it is tied, it is going to impact your health later on. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just what it is. So how do you balance that? Right. Exactly. So going back to the, the wine that, so it, what about quantity? Is it a small, you know, not like, you know, you the, know yeah, according to research, it's one or two glasses okay. every day, depending okay. on your size and whether you're male or female. And the thing I like to tell people, because I'm I'm anticipating your next question, is it's one to two glasses of wine a day. And no, you can't save up and have 14 on the weekend. <laughs> Fair enough. But also, I mean, obviously, like you said, you changed, you, you know, increased your wine consumption. I was, I was teasing. Okay. <laughs> but, it was it was it was an easy it was an easy joke that I tried to take advantage of. Um, it's it it was more kind of that small quantities, and they did it kind of with that social stuff, uh, that social piece that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. What I really the the one thing that I I one of the first things I do a bunch of things tied to the blue zones, but I connected with my father, and every summer here in in Minneapolis where I live, I do a garden. Wow. Where I'll spend time with him to actually get on my knees. And it's a, and, and gardening for just for people is a really good form of exercise. Yes. 
because you're up and down. It's really low impact on your joints compared to running a marathon or, yeah. you know, doing doing some of the other stuff. It is a very good, and it's also therapeutic from the mental standpoint, right? Okay. Yeah. To be able to go through and to downshift. But more importantly, I do it as a social piece to my father yes. to be able to really spend that quality time to learn the traditions that he's been learning. He's 84 years old now. Wow. All through his life and those traditions not only include the gardening uh that time spent with him is so important but then we can the food yeah right. so uh, all year long i have it and we you know exchange recipes and Beautiful. stuff like that with it it's a gorgeous well. thing to do yeah that was the biggest that was one of the thing the intentional things that i did and again it's tied to my environment right so i'm tying it to my father i'm tying it to how i spend my time Versus sitting at home and watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians yes. on TV, you know, I'm surrounding myself with 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 intentional these intentional relationships yes. that I also feel responsible for. Right. So if yeah. I don't show up, not only do you have a lot of weeds in the garden, but I feel I let my father down. Yes. So it's creating this this, this piece that also makes me accountable to that action due to the environment of it. Yeah, right. That's beautiful. Amazing. And so what about, so for you, that does that serve as, would you say that's part of your purpose and your community all in one, that activity? Uh, it's tied to, for me, it's tied to, you know, if you look at the Power Nine, it's tied to family. Okay. Um, and it's also tied to, to purpose. I get my, and social, because I get my purpose in life out of the relationships of the people that are that are around me. I travel about 220 days a year. Wow, that's a so lot. So when I'm home, it's important for me to be grounded. Yes. With that stress and grounded with all that peace. And I ground, my, I ground, I ground myself by spending time with my parents. And I have eight god kids and my friends. Wow. And stuff. Um, now, what about um, the relationships? Because you said that's quite important as well. But a lot of the, the stories that you spoke of, it didn't seem like they were – well, you said they keep their marriages together. But a lot of the people, like the ladies, they open up their door in the morning and they look across to their neighbours. So obviously, uh, uh, is it the females that are outliving the guys or what's the story there? No, that's a good question. It, it changes. Uh, so in Okinawa, women outlive in the men. Okay. Um, in Sardinia, highest rates of male centenarians okay. all over the world. And in, and in Costa Rica, the men and women are reaching 100 at the same age okay. or at the same rates. Wow. And they're doing it, incidentally, with, um, with almost no dementia. It's incredible. It's amazing. So does it, genetically, like do the Blue Zone communities, is it also – um, I mean, are they undiluted gene pools that live in those communities? Yes, but I don't know what that impact really means. Okay. Well, in some ways, and Loma Linda, not so much. There is, there is, there is people coming into to it, but there's a story that Dan, um, my brother Dan, did not too long ago about. It's, so I mentioned earlier about Costa Rica, almost no dementia. Yes. Same thing in uh, Icaria, Greece, okay. almost none. Wow. Right? So what? What? there's a story about somebody who moved to Ohio. Right. And 
And after they moved to Ohio, uh, uh, this woman, you know, she lived in Ikaria for 40 years of her life, moved here and age 60, got dementia. Wow. So it, to me, it starts minimalizing the impact of genes. Yes. Okay. The environment. There's another guy we met named Stamaniti, same, Ikaria, same thing. He moved to America um, at age like 20, got married in New York, lived with a wife, had a couple kids, was a painter, ended up moving down to Florida and retired at 62. And three years later was diagnosed with cancer. Doctor said, you're going to die. Goodness. And Stamaniti said, listen, America healthcare way too expensive. I'd rather try to figure out some ways to be able to pass down the dollars on to my kids. Yes. But I also want to be married with buried with my ancestors. So he moved back to Korea. Right. Um, reengaged with his family and friends. He actually moved in with his mom and dad at age sixty seven. So if your listeners think your kids are really out of your house <laughs> There's a chance that they might move back. But also, start engaging in the faith and the diet. And it's a really celebratory, it's a really social society. Right. Dan and I got a chance to meet him 32 years later. Wow. That's The incredible. only thing that changed for him with his diet was, was his environment. Yes. Yep. But isn't that yeah. incredible to think how that shift can literally shift your health and well-being? Well, and it also exactly. And to me, to kind of go back to your question, it also questions the really the value of a gene pool versus what are the things that we're throwing in our mouth and whatever. At the end of the day, some people are going to hit the genetic lottery and make it to 100 when other people might not make it as much. But does that mean that we shouldn't? You know, there's a term called compression of morbidity. Okay. Um, an average people, it's about four years between when people get sick and when they die. Okay. It's where you need somebody to take care of you. It's where you're waking up every day and life just is horrible. Yes. In Okinawa, it's less than a year. Oh, wow. So the question that I would ask your listeners is, would you rather be sick for those four years when you die? Does it matter if you're going to live to 60 or, or to 90? Yeah. If the last four, doesn't everyone want to, at least as long as I'm here on earth, have the best quality of life? Absolutely. It's not only about the quantity, let's also remember quality is important. Absolutely. How interesting. And and what about the Adventists? Uh, The Adventists, they're the seven-day Adventists. Right. We're um, in Loma Linda, California. They have the highest percentage of seven-day Adventists there. Right. Um. They did a couple things that I thought was very interesting. Number one is they live by L.A., Los Angeles. Right. And, but they, but if you look at the Adventists, so average life expectancy here in America for if you're a female is about 80. They're living to 89. Okay. And men over, are getting over 10 years of longevity. Wow. And it's not the genes because if you go to an Adventist congregation, you're seeing people from African-American, from Hispanic roots, European roots, yes. uh, Asian roots, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a melting, melting pot. pot. Yeah. Of, yeah. And what you're seeing there is I think a couple things is number one is they're focused on, um, uh, uh, this, the Sabbath from sundown on Friday, sundown on Saturday, doesn't matter where the kids need to be driven or what the boss is telling them to do. These guys unwind, yes. go to church and they'll get together with their friends. 
But the interesting thing is in the afternoon, they'll do a nature walk with their family, taken right from their scriptures. Right. They'll let that stress of the week go by focusing in on their family and their friends to do this nature walk every week. Beautiful. That kind of unwinds it. And the other thing is if you go to an Adventist party, they're not doing the same things that I did when I was a kid, you know, shots of tequila and all the other <laughs> stuff that goes with that right passage but instead through their faith they're supporting each other they're passing down traditions around healthy food skills they're passing down supporting each other in their faith supporting each other in their daily kind of activities yes. if you look at that community as a whole the the things that flow through them tend to be very positive amazing yeah incredible there's so much wisdom here <laughs> It was there that I met a surgeon. Yes. Uh, 85 years old. Right. He's still doing multiple open heart surgeries. Goodness. He retired when he was 100. Wow. That is incredible. I don't know that that would be legal here, practicing still <laughs> as a surgeon. <laughs> I don't know if it's legal here either. That's incredible. Well, you've shared so much wisdom and it's been very insightful just understanding the power nine and, and what we can do to live longer and stronger. But what are your top three tips? If you could only pick three, what would they be? Yeah, I, you know, for me, number one is, is, um, you know, I think it changes. You ask me this question tomorrow, I'll give you a different answer. Okay. But today it is around your friends. Yes. You know, break down that isolation that creates better life is tough yes how do you create friends that are helping you out when you need that whether it be through that healthy activity like i mentioned earlier yes or just, you know gosh i'm i don't know how to what to do with my kids i can't get control of them how do you what do you do give me some advice or at least just give me a time out yes exactly you know friends is the social one um I, I'll talk about environment and think about instead of thinking about health between if you look at diets and exercise, um, only about 5% of the population can stick with the diet. Yes. You know, you talk about gym memberships. Most people will pay that money for a gym membership, but not show up. They'll yeah. show up a lot out of the gate, but that will fade. Yes. So instead of thinking about that, think about how do you set up your environment to make that healthier choice easier, to yes. make that dieting easier, to make that exercise easier versus focusing on that individual discipline. Yeah. Think so, about your choice architecture and your daily life and what you're doing. It becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. Exa exactly. Because I think that is, I think that's that piece and just, you know, that intentional how we live this really crazy life. So how do we come back and just think about, is it all necessary or in it? How do I find some times to be able to downshift? Yes. To be able to, just to take that breath. Absolutely. It allows me then to start, to start anew because we, you know, we do live in a busy world. Yeah. With a lot of expectations and a lot of responsibilities. Absolutely. How, but how do we take that time and understand whether we're adults or even kids, you know, as, as I'm a young kid, I'm starting, I'm going to school, I'm getting stressed out in school, I'm bullying, and I'm doing all these other things just because of, you know, I get stressed. But if we can teach young kids how to understand triggers in their brain that are leading to that stress, mm. and techniques that help reinforce it or to help kind of deal with that stress, 
I think we're going to be setting up our next generation to be better off than we are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what are the typical stress reduction strategies that you witnessed? Uh, other than wine at five? Yes. <laughs> other than happy hour? Yes. Well, I just want to make sure that I'm throwing your 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 audience something that's easy. Okay. Uh, you know, okay, it was a few things. Um, uh, walking. Yes. Like doing this walk with a friend, or, or you know, and doing this exercise, kind of that natural movement, was was one. Um, praying. You know, whether it be from the Adventists, and again, with works be great, the, but also in Okinawa they did ancestor veneration. Okay. It was a way of kind of meditating through that prayer, or through that that intentions that they were doing. Amazing. That I thought that I that I thought was very positive. Um, in Okinawa and in a lot of the blue zone communities, they actually took those little siestas, those little naps. Oh yes, yeah. Every day, and the research says it's good for you if you can pull it off. You know, I understand the reality of how challenging it is, but it is actually good, good for us. Yes. I love that. I catch my husband out often. He'll say he's meditating, but he's actually having a little sleep. <laughs> I'm with him. Yeah, absolutely. I am too now. But hey, listen, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Tell us, you're coming to Australia. Is that right? I'm coming to Australia to do one presentation in April of next year. But while I'm there, I'm open to look at kind of doing some more presentations and having some more conversations. Amazing. So how can we, how can people find you? Um, uh, number one email, um, uh, Nick at bluezones.com. Yes. But the other way is just through our website, bluezones.com. Amazing. Um, you can find a bunch of information. We have a longevity calculator that where people can takes about three minutes, tell you about how long you're going to, and it would tell you how long you're going to live and what your healthy life expectancy is. I love that. Through happiness test. Um, uh, there's books and other stuff like that are available from our writings, but we have recipes online, some other tools. Dan's coming out with a cookbook of the Blue Zones in around uh, December of this year. Excellent. And the goal around it was is, is he actually went to the Blue Zones with a National Geographic photographer and said, make me dinner. Wow. And the centenarians would make the dinner not in kind of whatever, but how they've been cooking for a hundred years. And then we brought them back and worked with a, a scientist to understand why are these things good for you, right. but then also worked and, you know, put them in kitchens to make yeah. sure that, you know, people can actually do these. So that's Amazing. coming up. Bunch of tools like that online, as well as information around how do we do our community transformations are there as well. Been an absolute pleasure and um, enjoy. We'll hopefully catch up with you when you come to Australia in April next year. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on our YouTube channel, One Body, One Life, to see more inspirational videos to help you reach optimal wellness and longevity. But until next time, don't forget, you've got to nourish to flourish.